Welcome to Foreman of Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy, today we're going to... I just got back from France doing research in Burgundy and Champagne. So exciting. And it prompted a conversation with us about food and wine pairing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I thought we should extend that. You know, and you thought we should extend that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you just... Uh, you, these trips are so important to what you purchase for our restaurants. And um, they inform your decisions, and um, it also teaches you at staff with you. So it also is an opportunity for them to learn about the culture and the food and the wine of those regions where you go. And, um, yeah, and, and I think the pairings that we do in a lot of the places are just so important because, frankly, I think it makes it easier for folks to just sit down, relax, and have a good time and not have to think so much about what they're going to have for dinner. But also, I mean, anyone that's gone to the grocery store and – buys salmon and asparagus is now in season mm-hmm. and wants to make that make a particular dish with those ingredients is going to come in and they're going to speak to someone in the wine shop and the question's going to be so what's for dinner right mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what 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 do you need you know what and and it's really what do, in your bag what does what's in your bag need right i i was reminded how consistent this is. So we were at Domaine de Corcel in Pomar, a historic, important producer. Uh, there, there are two gentlemen there, one the owner, Gilles, and uh, the winemaker, Yves. And Yves has been winemaker there for 28 years, and oh. he has a family winery That's great. up in uh, Chamamoussigny as well. But Pomar is very different from its neighbor, Volnay. You know, it's Pinot Noir, as all red burgundy is. Is Pinot Noir that has real power and breadth, mm-hmm. and the way, the style that they make maximizes that, and the style that they make maximizes um, density, richness, and they they still do some whole cluster fermentations and and uh, shorter macerations because of that and all that you know well, other technical things that make the. Burgundy from 100 years ago, very different from Burgundy now, but they still make this stuff from 100 years ago. Why is Pomard? And it ages very well. Why is Pomard different from the other regions? Why is it you know, uh, more I, complex? Well, the, it's, not, it, it's not necessarily more complex, but it's, but it's very particular. Just like any, any region of Burgundy is very particular for Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. It has its own characteristics. And when you have grapes adapted to a place for many centuries... There are multiple generations of vines learning from previous generations what to do in those places to survive, but also that that fruit becomes better and better at expressing that place. So even though Volnay and Pomard are next to each other, Pomard has a very particular character and that, that very cherry fruit. Volnay has that very black raspberry fruit, is more floral, and, and you get very different tannic structure the the density that you can feel that in your mouth it it cleans up uh, food fatty food especially in your mouth very well is the soil different from Volnay somewhat but not enormously mm-hmm. it, it's more drainage and exposure differences in okay. different sites mm-hmm. uh, because elevations are about the same all of that to say so I was asking Eve we we're, were tasting multiple vintages of uh, Pomard Rougien, which is a Premier Cru site, the very particular site mm-hmm. that makes long-lived wines, and, and in a house that makes especially long-lived wines anyway, 
So what what dish did he want hmm. for? You know, that's because like always you ask a winemaker the same thing. Always. So what dish do you want for this? Or maybe it's more what you know what 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 is what is the wine for? What does the wine do with food? And he's like, well, this this one was a 2011 Pomerugian. This one's beef, lean beef, but beef, bloody beef. It's funny. It's like it's not just for beef, but like the very particular types, you know. Sure. He had something in his brain. Yeah. He's thinking of like a, a, a Charolais, you know, very lean beef. And their beef uh, is different steak, from ours right? too. So that's yeah. to be thought of. Yeah. And, uh, but he's like, yeah, it's, uh, how does it work with it? It's the sauce. <laughs> so I was like, ah, okay, that's, now Now I got you. It's just a very primal relationship. So I thought that, that really kind of reminded me, you know, after many, many, many visits and over a long time, you, you get reminded of simple truths again and again. It's good. And one in pairing is, you know, like if you're saucing a dish, you don't want it to overwhelm and cover the dish. No. But you want it to stand up to it. And enhance. Enhance, but not, yeah. Overwhelm. And you want it to have a complementary personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, in pairing food and wine, that's what you're after. Yeah. Being reminded of that universal, you know, functionality. Mm-hmm. You know, that, as always, like wine is purpose-driven. I can't tell you how many times on this trip I talked about, well, wine is purpose-driven, so... We tasted this versus this versus this. Well, why did you choose this for dinner? You know, one young sommelier on the trip. Right. Why did you choose this for this course? Well, I thought it would show the morels in that dish. Great. To great advantage. Awesome. You know, show yeah. off the woodsiness. Lovely. <laughs> right. Yes. It would show off um, the the skin of the pigeon, which has a particular flavor and. Mm-hmm. And especially when it's caramelized well. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that w- w- whatever it might be in the dish. And that's why it's so important that the psalm understands food. Yeah, they, they're all, they're so all the important. same thing. Yeah. It's one continuum on the table. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that, mm-hmm. that's the point. Right. You know, because it's the sauce. <laughs> yeah. Good words from that winemaker. Yeah. Eve is pretty brilliant. His family winery is uh, Compuron Cotido. And uh, very... Again, a very not t- not worried about the, a lot of the modern techniques. He's much more concerned about his great great grandfather's wine. I love that and how those things were made. Great and and as such, the Domaine de Corcel, their Pomar ages exceptionally well. So when you say that, like how many years? I mean, think about Pinot Noir that you normally pick up in a wine shop. Would that age for five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five years? You're talking about most vintages from them, from the Premier Cru sites, are 25, 35, 40-year wines. That's so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is which is remarkable. Did you get to taste anything older than the 11? The 7. Which, oh, and, good. And the funny thing wow. is that 7 <laughs> and 11 are considered not strong vintages. Okay. So to have rich, ripe, you know, robust wines from those years— is a bit of a shock to the system. I don't know what those wines will. I did not taste those wines out of barrel, mm-hmm. but to have them now, after having had many sevens and many elevens, they know something <laughs> <laughs> because the wines were wonderful and showed really oh, well. That's great. Good. That's nice. Good to hear. And all of that feeds into 
how to pair things. I mean, that's in in Burgundy, it's Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, right? Mm-hmm. So the question is, how what are the flavors of Chardonnay? Because that will tell you what food it wants and what's the structure. You know, it's like, again, what 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 does it give you? Um, so most Chardonnay, whether from Burgundy or otherwise, ends up being aged in oak barrels. Okay. Do more or less influence. And anytime wine is aged in oak, it's going to pick up some character of the vanilla. It's, And again, on this trip, I found myself saying to these people, look for all the pastry shop aromas. <laughs> I love you that. You know, <laughs> look for that, like... That that the little the little bit around. of like you know when when you smell a croissant mm-hmm. and it has that I'd l- like to little, right now yeah sorry <laughs> that, that 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 caramelization of the the flour and the butter and you know all mm-hmm. at once mm-hmm. that there is that aroma that's typically there uh, the vanilla how does wood can, can give a there. vanilla smell or t- there, there's literally vanillin and oh. new barrels give a strong aroma of vanilla huh. and. If you use American oak barrels instead of French oak barrels, which is that, which is a whole different thing, then they, they like in Burgundy they wouldn't use that because they have their own forest and they sure. make their own barrels. Of course. Um, but like in Rioja or in, you know whiskey barrels, they get big vanilla aromas <laughs> uh, from new barrels. How much has the barrel been toasted? That t- that gives you like more or less caramelly aromas and flavors. And the other thing that you pick up is this almost like, you know, like when you have hazelnuts and the skins, they have mm-hmm. like a particular scent. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's like it's sort of hazelnuts, but it's really the skins. That's always there. So with Chardonnay, you know those things are going to be there in more or less degrees, lighter or fresher. And the fruit, you know it's going to be some kind of orchard fruit. It's not usually citrus, and it's not usually that tropical if it's burgundy. Sometimes you can get a little tropical, especially if you go out of Burgundy into like the West Coast. Um, but usually it's some kind of Chardonnay orchard. For on the West Coast. Yeah. Yeah, got it. Usually it's some kind of orchard fruit. Like peaches, like pears, okay. uh, can be apples. You know, yeah. that could be uh, like white plums, Mirabelle plums. Mm-hmm. You know, that it, it can be lots of things in that range. Uh, nectarines, apricots, you know, that 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 that's sort of what you expect. So... You think about all those flavors when you're going to use that wine with the dish. In Burgundy, you also expect a lot of mineral presence. So that that's going to give you... Which comes from the soil. Which comes from the soil. And that's what ends up... It's funny. That's what ends up tying into food most attractively a lot of times. Mm-hmm. The structure, the acidity that's there that cleans up your palate. The minerality often shows itself on the nose and often shows itself on the finish. And when it's there in the finish in a strong way with that acid, it really ties into some of what you're eating. If that – now, imagine – it's funny. The salmon and asparagus in the grocery bag. Imagine all those flavors, and you know, the caramelly butter, mm-hmm. the vanilla, the hazelnuts with asparagus. Not attractive. No, right? not at all. Interesting. Right. Yeah. You know, like pears and asparagus, not attractive. That's why you always say it's so hard to pair with yeah. asparagus. Yeah, so it, in particular, as, asparagus is some. It, it doesn't want. So that's literally, asparagus doesn't want those flavors. Right. It doesn't want yeah. Chardonnay. So that's literally the sorting out process you go through trying to figure out. 
what wants what. It also has to function together. The kind of acidity, the texture is not going to deal with asparagus well. You need something that actually has a bit of a bitter finish. And that, does, that doesn't happen in France all that often. You find that more in Italian whites and some Spanish whites as well. And, and, and one Austrian white also. But if that, mm-hmm. if, if that helps, well, Austrian, Middle European, because there are a couple of varietals that how, work there. How does minerality translate onto the palate and taste, and, and also how does it smell? How do you describe that? Like in Champagne um, or in Chablis, the soil is chalky, and literally you will smell that on the nose as part of, as part <laughs> of a complete package because there are many scents on the nose, right? It's, it's, there's a bit of a, at least a, a chamber orchestra, if not a full orchestra of aromas, on a wine that's complex and has many different parts to it. So that that's something that shows up on the palate the same way with many other many other things. You have to slow yourself down and actually taste the wine sense by sense and and take it in slowly. Yeah. And again, like when I teach that, that's always what I'm trying to so tell imagine hitting a tennis ball, right? Here comes the ball. You see it first. And then your body is in position to move, and you are going to see it right into your racket as you swing and you strike it and you follow through, right? It's a physical action that requires focus, concentration. And just like they always say in sports, when, like things slow down for the best players. The best tasters, things slow down. They take things in, you know, they, they pull all those little parts apart and look at all the little differences, little connections, differences, layers that that are there, you know. But it's not that they're not all packed in tight. Right. But if you're focused the right way and can slow it down for yourself, you can begin to pick out all of those things. And the more you taste, the more you you recognize the differences. Exactly. And you you take your time. Sure. And yeah, if you have more than one thing open at a time, it makes a huge difference. It really does. I love comparing wines. If there are things that are somehow related... Let's say that there is, we're talking about Chardonnay, there's Chardonnay from Merceau, and there's Chardonnay from uh, much further south, Puy Puisay, right? Merceau is going to be much more of that, uh, that pear fruit and, and more mineral wine in general. That's much stonier soil, and, and a lot of those vineyards are old. You know, Puy Puisay, you have more clay. Uh, those roots are kept wetter for one of a more fancy term. Um, <laughs> and and they, they tend to produce more than they do in Merceau. And they tend to get more sun because they're further south and they don't have some of the little climactic variables that they do. What's kind of the distance between is. the two? Um, driving 50 minutes. Okay. Yeah, so, well, that's a big difference. That is a big difference. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a big difference. So what? From what one you, side of a mountain to the other side of a mountain can be yeah, a totally different climate. So you may get things where the alcohol level is pretty close, mm-hmm. uh, but the ripening of the Chardonnay will be much longer in Merceau than it will in Puy Puisay, and the the leading characteristic will be much more mineral in Merceau than in Puy Puisay. And it's not that there's not mineral presence, um, but that longer ripening also means. It has more of the story of the place to tell, if that helps. Mm-hmm. So we went so, from pear to? You go from pear to, depending upon the vintage, it can be um, often peach, 
pretty ripe peach. Okay. Something in that range. Mm-hmm. And Puy Fusé. And Puy Fusé. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a difference. That's a big difference. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's... And I can just feel that, the feeling of something sun. cooler to something warmer when yeah, you say it, pear to peach. I mean, well, you, it, you know that in fruit. I, yeah, I mean, you know that in absolutely. fruit. You're yeah. going to go... Mm-hmm. We're about to go from... Yeah, you know, it's so exciting. Like strawberries and the beginning of blueberries to... Like all of a sudden, peaches are going to show up, and that Stone fruit you is can coming. feel you can feel that sun. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. Yes. That's the thing you f- in the West Coast wines. You can often feel that sun. Yeah. Farmer this morning said also that in about a month we'll have tomatoes, which is I cannot wait. We all can't what? wait. We all love tomatoes. In a month. And that seems really soon, but especially That's since really it's been soon. a cool spring, you know, we've had a cool start right. to summer, it's really. B- it's been yeah. pretty perfect recently, but that's really uh, soon. Yeah, I was surprised when he said that, so I'm excited for that, but we'll see what happens. But, yeah, so oh. the, the cherries are coming. So if if you want to name food in Burgundy, just so people have a bit of a, you know, a, like food that you might find in dishes in Burgundy. Magre. Cherries, as you just we were just talking yeah. about. Uh, Magre with cherries wants literally pomar, mm-hmm. you know, because of the fat that's there for the structure on the pomar, mm-hmm. uh, and and that 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 big that the the big earthy cherry fruit that's there. I mean, the biggest things that you find in that region are usually beef, veal, pork, um, chicken, other white meat birds, you know, pigeon, quail. Well, those are, I mean, you know, with the reds, you know, with, with, you know, just thinking in terms of not using a sauce just because the winemaker kind of said the wine was the sauce in a way, um, you know, you can always, especially this time of the year, make some sort of a vinaigrette or, uh, or use, you know, some fresh herbs that you might not have already used on something just to enhance rather than make some sort of a reduction sauce or a heavy sauce. It's not, it's not that... You, a dish with a sauce doesn't work with wine. Oh, of course it does. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know. yeah. It's 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 just realizing that there is an intimate relationship between the the, mm-hmm. the wine and the dish, and the wine and the primary element of the dish. Even if it's let's say it's like we said beef, it may be lean, it may be fattier, it may be something you're preparing more rare or more well done. Mm-hmm. It may be a braised dish. You know, a a braise or braise veal dish, for example, this time of the year. You know, blanquettes. Mm-hmm. It's lovely. Yeah, the Chardonnay is amazing. So when we come back on Formidable from Food and Wine, more about food and wine pairing, focused on Burgundy and focused on Champagne on WIPR. Welcome back to Foreman of Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Jeff Cindy Wolf. And so we're we're digging in detail into food and wine pairing. It's fun. It's fun to talk about. So one question people may ask is, you know, when you come up with the dish, how do we pair it? You know, like name a dish that you Yeah, my focus that, that, my, that's that's in your brain right now. Yeah, my focus is always on my food and then when I tell you all what is on the menu for the day. If they're new items, then you all come up. That's when you all come up with what wine is appropriate. So it's not that I'm necessarily trying to, you know, focus on a particular wine. It's I focus on the food because your expertise is in that area with wine. And I don't 
you know, you make it basically make it easy for me. I don't have to think about what wine would go with it. But the opposite of that is when you want to want to do a wine dinner. And that's when it, it doesn't become more about the wine. It just becomes the first step rather than me having my food be my first step. Well, yeah, if 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 I take the first step, it's going to be, you know, I, I want to serve um, a 2004 Barbaresco crew. And I immediately say, that, okay, so what what, what food that, goes that, with that? that, that that's that's <laughs> going to be medium to full. Right. Not incredibly tannic at this point. Uh, and this is Nebbiolo, so we, we departed France entirely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Which is fun. And what is it going to want? It's It's... I mean, in a perfect world, uh, like goat roasted on the bone. Well, that, yeah, we should do that wine dinner. <laughs> oh, you know how right much away. I like that. Oh, I, 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 I'm with you. I, I love a baby goat. We should goat. do that. But that's what's fun. is, and, and also that's always been our work relationship is the interaction between that kind of interaction is what's fun. I mean, that's that's the joy of what we do is, you know, you're saying, well, goat would be good with that. And then I get all excited and say, oh, well, I could do this to the goat. And, you know, and then we come up with something that's hopefully, you know, yeah. not new because there really isn't any new food unless you do it from a scientific standpoint. Um, but something that's new to maybe me, um, something I haven't done before or a product I haven't worked with um, or a particular dish that I've never made. Um, you know, maybe something that's traditional to the region of the wine is what I always try to strive for um, or something that's or based on something really in season too. You know, obviously everything's driven by what, by the seasons with what we work with. So when when it works the other way, when you come up with the dish, mm-hmm. so what's the dish in your brain? Uh, right now I'm thinking about... What do you want to make? I can't help myself. I, I had made a, a warm potato salad at home the other night and uh, for myself and my sister, and I'm just like, oh, this would be so good with a sweet flaky piece of fish. And sort of in my mind as grouper, um, it immediately came to mind. No, I love grouper. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's also a fish that I worked with a lot when I used to live in Charleston, South Carolina. And um, it's just such a great, sweet fish. And I thought, you know, with the warm potato salad, the the potatoes are sweet, but I added a little bit of mustard, spicy mustard to it. And... um, a little bit of champagne vinegar in there, and then, you know, finely chopped shallot, a little bit less finely chopped celery, so you get a little crunch in your mouth. Um, and um, and then, you know, just a really well-made mayonnaise, but I made the mayonnaise like an aioli, not with garlic, but with olive oil, um, so that it was a more intense, not crazy intense, but a slightly more intense uh, mayonnaise, so that you have that extra virgin olive oil flavor as well. And you know what a difference that makes from using something like corn oil, a more neutral oil that has you know almost no flavor. Um, so that was just you know that that idea of having this just like flaking, gorgeous, you know, just perfectly cooked, you know, tender piece of grouper with this like warm potato salad that had those those notes of uh, champagne vinegar and mustard and the sweet potato. And the olive oil. No, if 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 I'm Cindy Wolf, I'd be putting like a chibre blanc on the plate. I was going to say, and I was going to finish it with chives, <laughs> and I was going to put a lot of cracked black pepper on the plate. Not mm-hmm. a lot, but some black pepper on the plate too. I think mm-hmm. black pepper is really important. And yes, there would definitely be chives. And I was actually even thinking of doing a lobster and chibre blanc, just introducing lobster pieces into the dish as well, um, because lobster will love that warm potato salad as well. Also, Tony, yeah. not only in the Blanc would I put pieces of lobster that were just butter poached, but I would add a little reduction of lobster stock to it. So that way the Blanc is really richly flavored 
So instead of just using white wine to make the Blanc sauce, I would also add the reduced lobster stock. So you would get lobster in two different ways. Do you want that for a dish as delicately flavored as grouper? Yes. Or do you want like a richer fish like rockfish? Nope. I want grouper. Nope. I really, okay. really in my mind think that there won't be anything out of balance there. It will all come together really well. You sure? Yes, Tony. <laughs> come on. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm of two minds. If you have that dish without the lobster element, mm-hmm. it wants it wants one thing. It wants a Chardonnay. That's a, It does want Chardonnay. Yeah. Good. It does want something that's a bit lighter. Um so maybe it's uh, it could be a Samaran, which is a, a great you know Saint V E R A N Samaran, mm-hmm. uh, which is from one of the villages near Puy Puy uh, which is charming and very cost effective and uh, and easy. That's like an afternoon lunch, you know, out, out outside kind of a wine. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's you you're adding the lobster to it, then you you need more intensity immediately, especially if you're using a little bit of lobster reduction in right, the right. in the sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, and the black pepper is something to consider if that's a meaningful. I think it element. just needs to be there. Um, when I when I made the salad at first, I didn't have I was out of peppercorns, and in my at my house. Oh no! Well, it's kind of. A, ridiculous. But anyway, so <laughs> I'm like, oh God, this one needs pepper so badly. And no, I wouldn't put a lot in, but obviously it needed okay. some. All so, right. Yep. All right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, <laughs> but the, you have to, you have to move up the intensity. And I think that's when, when you introduce that, that, that briny umami kind of element in the relationship amongst all those things, um, you need good acid, you need good body, you need good intensity. Then there you're going to go north to uh, maybe Auxuzures, uh, which is a village near Corton, um, okay. mm. or or you know certainly Merceau works in that situation. Um, I would even maybe think from a good vintage, a, a thing that's often good to buy. You go to great estates in great vintages mm-hmm. and look for just the Bourgogne Blanc, which is that just literally often cl- declassified. Like Soze, who's a grower. Wait, what and does declassified mean? Declassified means maybe they grow it in a Merceau vineyard or a Pliny Marocher vineyard, but they're not they're they're not going to call it Pliny Marocher or Merceau for varying reasons. Sometimes qualitative reasons. Sometimes just they separate the young vines out until things get to a certain level of intensity. Okay. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like 2016, we bought a ton of uh, Etienne Sauzet's Bourgogne Blanc, wow. which is all from Pligny Monochet Vineyards. Great producer. Yeah, great producer. Um, and very close in a great vintage to their Pligny Monochet bottling for about uh, 40% of the cost. Okay, all right. So, which sometimes we like. Yeah, and, and Burgundy—that's <laughs> making quite a statement. So. It is because it, that's that's a, that's, a, that's a tricky region. Yeah. You know, that's a tricky region. Mm-hmm. Th- those wines are rare and up, not duplicable. One of the other things that's funny about Burgundy, on that trip, I always tell people things are small, that the villages are small, the vineyards around them are small. When you say 200 people live in this village, yeah, it's shocking how small they are. And so, guess who works on all of those vineyards? No more than those 200 people. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, so their it, plots of it, land are small. Very They're small. They're like some of them are just a few acres, right? Yes. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, like yeah. one winemaker only or, has or, a few or acres. Sometimes percentages of acres. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, when you when you when you realize how rare things are, and those wines are famous throughout the world, yes, sometimes things get pulled by demand to wild price points. Mm-hmm. They are also, also aren't exactly duplicable. Right. Right. No, of course not. Such you know. a special region. Well, all regions are special, but yeah, I mean, to that, themselves. To to the point that something of incredible quality can come from regions that you don't expect. Also on this trip, I was uh, I'd stopped in London. I had dinner at a restaurant. Had struck up a, a, a long conversation with the sommelier there, and he brought me a bottle of Chardonnay from New Zealand. Oh. <laughs> that. I'm not a bad blind taster. I would have believed that wine was Burgundy, one. Wow. And two, maybe like a Premier Cruche de Saint-Yemont Rocher. Wow, that's exciting. Very, very, very like crazy quality. Like I'm interested in a 16-hour plane flight or whatever it is to get to New Zealand. To see this winemaker. To see, okay, what is this guy doing and how special is this place? Yeah. Because the potential is in this place. Then I want to know more about it. I mean, that's always what has driven of this course. kind of travel. Yeah, of course, that's exciting. So anyway, that's, that's a cool. New Zealand tangent. I think I think those the 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 pairing. It's just so shockingly important that you know you you. I mean, I grew up with a father who loved wine. Didn't you know? Taught himself anything that he knew. He used to always talk to the psalm in the restaurants too. I mean, he was always fascinated by wine, but. You know, he read Hugh Johnson's book. I mean, I, I remember it sitting on the table. And he had a little wine, an, a small wine book. I forget whose that was. But um, but he taught himself everything he knew and, you know, tasted some wine. And it was later on in his life that he had any interest in it. And I just remember, you know, if we would have dinner, he would just pull out, like if we were having fish, we would have white wine. There was n- no nuance to that pick pairing. Obviously, my dad wasn't didn't know enough about wine to go. Oh well, this is you know, I mean, it, it, it's it. What a difference it makes to have something properly paired. I, I I know it's a obvious statement, but it's shocking to me that you know so often we just think, oh well, this goes with this, so that's what I'm going to have. And thank goodness for all the people that can help us make better decisions than that. Well, it. I mean, like it's you and the, some, the, so decisions the that you're happy about. I mean, that's – and there are a lot of things to consider because you, you do have to consider economics. Well, of course. You, you, Absolutely. You, you want to consider the palate of the person and the more – you have to understand people a bit to understand that. Um, I mean, Which I do, is hard to do if you don't know them and you're standing in front of them and they're – you know, you need to make a decision. I mean, that's – that's I think that's an interesting challenge for some and – Really admirable that that you know you can stand there and 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 we and you know hey I've met a lot of psalms too in my life and sometimes they're not the most open-minded folks sometimes they want to push their agenda on people and I I, I don't like that uh, in a psalm I I like someone that's open-minded and and is as you said is considering clearly considering price point obviously you never want the guests to feel like oh God what just happened here what what and, what what you can't have is is bringing your judgment into the process. Exactly. And an you, open you, mind. You can't judge that client. Mm-hmm. You can't, you know, like, ju- like all the wines on the list are there for a reason, especially if it's a, like a personally curated list. Mm-hmm. They're all there. I mean, everything as as huge as the list is at our principal restaurant, everything's there for a reason. Absolutely. Everything's there for particular dishes, 
preparations, mm-hmm. uh, applications, uh, to be there at different points in their life. Right. Um, you know, that's you may write a menu with 25 items on it on a daily basis. Right. Sometimes 30. There, yeah. are, there are, you know, 1,300 things in a cellar. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> so, so we can get to like... There's a variety it, of choices yeah. for one dish. Is that what you're getting? Yeah, kind exactly. of getting at, you know? Well, and, and, and depending upon the nuances of the dish. But yeah, that there are so many things. Is it this Grunewaldliner for that, you know, little alamut ceviche that you make? Or is it that one? Or is it that one from that vintage? The 11 vintage has more acidity than the 12. Uh, the 12 is more floral. You know, what are the garnishes? I mean, that you, you, you try to you try to find... You know, every little detail, because it's song and dance that you're chasing, right? Right. You know, that sometimes people are like, well, I like this dish, and this is the wine that I like. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. But you could be dancing ballroom dancing, and they're playing country music. Right. And you're going to look kind of dumb, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think. Mm -hmm. But if, if you actually know what the music is, and you learn the proper dance, why not? do that it also that there there's a connection between the two that is special right i agree so absolutely, i mean that, it's, the, it's the same thing on the table I, I just so strongly feel that food absolutely i mean if you drink that food needs wine and and quite frankly absolutely vice versa it is rare you will ever see me just drink a glass of wine I'm, i might drink a glass of champagne because i love it so much but you, i am not having might. krug by itself I am not having, you know, some big, bold thing in my mouth. I, I don't even. Krug, it's, Krug by itself? No, I'm not. I'm going to yeah, have something to eat with it. me with a good time. <laughs> I, I just, I <laughs> I think that wine needs food and food needs wine. Period. I, I, End of story. I, like, they're meant for each other. That's all there is to it. They, they, they're not complete without the other, as far as I'm concerned. The other thing I wanted to jump into, a lesson from this particular trip that I, I found myself just hitting on again and again cheese. People always want wine and cheese, right? Mm-hmm. Come for a little I'm onion cheese I'm waiting to hear party. what you're about to Come, say. But no, but, and, and so, and so yes. what, what do people do? They find this massive red wine. Right. And, and they find these like very nuanced, you know. Like little, little sweet, little wonderful goat cheeses. Right. That are just there and, to be happy. And you basically. And they're going to get pounced it's, on it's by it's that like, big it's red like wine. A, it's like a cartoon. <laughs> You know, where 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 like the 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 brutal monster takes the you know huge mallet out, <laughs> and he's going to crush a daisy. Right. Yeah. That's with the mallet. Not good. Like. Yeah. No. Not going to work. You, well, but the problem with that, as you well know, is that we often end up with a big red at an end so, of a meal because you eat the stronger dishes at the end of the meal, right? Typically, oftentimes, like squab or no, that's lamb a, that, or that's you a, know. that's a whole not, we we have to come back to that. <laughs> okay. Oh my God! You're going to get me upset now. Uh-oh. Uh, so I'm going to try not to get upset uh, when we come back on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine on WIPR. Welcome back to Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And uh, Cindy, you were upsetting me at the end of the last <laughs> it's segment. It's easy to do. So mm-hmm. it... it I'm a sensitive soul. Everyone knows that. <laughs> so you were saying about 
the uh, sequencing of a, of a yeah, meal. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes you're going to end up with the strongest, you know, biggest flavors at the end of the meal. That's how it should work, honestly. So you may end up with a big red wine. And that's why, you know, that's what you're going to end up with with your cheese. So how do you handle this situation? It all depends if the wine is, if you're just like, oh, I'm going to drink my leftovers, mm-hmm. which sometimes people do. Yes. Right? And then maybe really marvelous leftovers. But that that's what you have to consider is do you want that that huge red wine that you just had? Which we actually have cheeses for, so I mean yeah, it can be we, handled. Exactly. Yeah, I mean we certainly have plenty of cheeses. Yeah, so just that's, you you you, uh, you find a camembert. Right, right. And you have that Bordeaux with some bottle age on it. And th- there's enough intensity, fat, you know, richness, salt that wants that connection, you know. Well, and we have Epoise, we have Gabine, we have a couple of well, wash rind pieces they, that are like, whoa, Epoise screaming. does well with white burgundy for sure. Really? Wow. Yeah. Well, I didn't know Especially that. Especially okay. big, austere ones like a Corton Charlemagne. Okay. Something like that, you know, or even some uh, a lighter one like a Ladois. Can do well with the reds, but the reds usually need, either need bottle age. They can't be like big, alcoholic, fruity. Okay. You know, they, and they sense. have to have good acidity. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's a lot of tannin, that's that's a different thing to manage. Tannin, you know, is that chalky business that you feel like on your teeth that kind of grips your mouth. That's a different thing to manage okay. with cheese. Tannin with like some big crumbly cheese, like once in a while can work, maybe with a Roquefort or something like that. Uh, an odd but successful pairing I've had once upon a time was a big primitivo uh, from south of Italy, which is one of the one of the you know ancestors of Zinfandel in California. Big, oily, fruity, alcoholic, with a big fatty gorgonzola. Like that that, that can that that oddly can work attractively. What what do you like with um uh, like a, a fresh little goat cheese? I mean, where do the most wonderful fresh little goat Loire cheeses Valley. come from? Loire. Loire. So, and, Loire whites. And the two principal grapes to the west, Chenin Blanc. Uh, so, Vouvray, sometimes a little bit off dry, sometimes dry. Um, Chenin Blanc can do well. Um, Sauvignon Blanc can do very, very well. Anything from uh, Côte de Giennois to Sancerre, which it seems like everyone in the world knows the name of now. Right across the river from Sancerre, qualitatively very, very similar. Puy Fumé um, also does that. Chablis can also do that as well. And Chardonnay, that especially like younger, fruitier ones that don't have significant time in oak. And what about Alsatian wine? What do you like with that? I mean, wines from Alsace have a pretty good range. You know, almost largely white. There's There's a little bit of Pinot Noir that's produced. Uh, but from lighter and more delicate, like Sylvaner, to to various Pinot Blanc, uh, Riesling, which is the king, you know, as far as ageability and the best sites, um, Pinot Gris and Gewurztraminer are both richer and and more off dry typically, especially Gewurztraminer. So they they want different things. The real Munster from mm. from Alsace, um, you know, and that's a wash rind piece. Cow's milk, little funky, washed rind, yeah, um, strong, creamy, sweet, almost nutty. That 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 wants you know Pinot Gris, uh, that wants Riesling from a ripe year, 
or my house uh, like uh, like Boxler or uh, Gasman that that makes just the wines that are a little bit more naturally sweet. Um, but the acidity is good. It cleans up the salt, you know, all, all of that. Uh, but that that does well. I just I can see that floral quality. If if I was going to have with goat's cheese, um, Silvaner, but Silvaner from a producer that made something lighter, more delicate, or even a grape that you once in a while see there, but more often see in, in other places in Middle Europe, uh, Molu Turgau. Molu Turgau, uh, especially from the Alto Arage mm-hmm. or uh, from uh, the Ostensee, uh, from Western Austria, that that can do well. You don't see them all that much, but that can do well. But yeah, cheese is definitely its own its own thing. One of the illustrations for the the crew that I had was to get to the end of a meal, and there was a wonderful cheese cart, and to go back and open, you know, more or less what would be considered an off vintage white Burgundy from a somewhat lesser known appellation Montelli. Uh, from a good producer, so a wine that was more more medium than full for sure, uh, long, lean, uh, very clean, very mineral, and to just kind of bounce softer cow's milk cheeses, because that's Burgundy is best known for, you know, Cito or Lamy de Chambertin, Epoise, things things like that, you know, or like a piece of Comte, which is very popular, especially in France. Things like that, to have that white that's kind of, and it'll show, but wine turns as fruity as it can, but it has that restraint that lets the cheese, like, they they interact in a really attractive, balanced way. So speaking of champagne, you were also there on your trip. Yes. And so what did you find? What were some of your experiences there? Any new houses? What? There, there's the the wine region probably with the most energy in France right now is champagne. Mm. Um, it is, it's big. It produces a lot of wine. The, what we know best are the wines from the companies that have huge marketing, you know, expenses. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, and, and they work really, really hard at the, making their brands famous. Um, I mean, one of the biggest wine companies in the whole world is, uh, is, you know, Louis Vuitton is part of LVMH. And that that that's all brand development, um, and they they own several champagne labels like Wolf Clicquot and and Krug and Moet and Moet and then so on and so on and so on. Um, the really interesting thing for me is to find either the new generation of some of the older houses and how that they are moving forward, uh, or to find some of the smaller growers that make very individual wines. Sometimes in the famous areas, uh, like the Côte de Blanc or the Montagne de Reims, you know, the, the Côte de Blanc being really Chardonnay, Chardonnay specialty, the Montagne de Reims is Pinot Noir specialty, uh, or the Valley de la Marne, which is a lot of Pinot Monnier. It's not that all three grapes don't grow in each region, but they're really areas that concentrate. Mm-hmm. But there are other areas like the Côte Cézanne, uh, which is a little further south and west, uh, or the Ob, which is a good bit further south. There are excellent growers in all of those places, and they're small ones, and they're young, and they're trying a lot of things, and they do a lot of things that the bigger houses that have massive production cannot do. 
and they're experimenting, and sometimes they're failing, but sometimes they're doing really marvelously well. And they produce their own, they, they work with their own grapes. And Yeah, and instead of, like a lot of the big houses, they have contracts for grapes from a lot of people's vineyards. It could be hundreds of farmers that are producing grapes yes. for those big houses yeah, exactly. because they do so much volume. Right. Yes. Okay. And they've had these relationships for many, 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 I mean, many years with these farmers. Yeah. I mean, it's that, a very different situation than going to some place in Burgundy, for example. So we, 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 we visited this grower, and these wines are just impossible to get. Uh, we visited this grower, Ulysse Collin. Ulysse Collin is um, down on the way to the Valle, Valle de la Marne from the Cote de Blanc, um, and he has vineyards in a couple of different sites. One down on the Coteau Cézanne, uh, where he grows a lot of Pinot. And and then he has where he is, he has a couple of vineyards. He has one that is co-planted, all three <laughs> grapes, wow. which is pretty wild. And I've not seen that much in Champagne. Um, and he works really hard with the soil. And he many, many, many details of what he's doing are really interesting and smart. And the quality of his stuff is tremendous. And... But and he, he, he produces shared. like 50,000 bottles a year, tops. Oh, wow. Okay. Tops. Right now he's about 20, 25. Versus a big house would produce vintages. like how many bottles? Uh, Vuflico Yellow Label is, I think, about 7 million bottles. Oh, oh my God. Wow, that's a, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit different <laughs> scale. <laughs> Got it. You know. I didn't realize it was that much. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it that. But that makes sense. Yeah, it's not hard to believe. The, no, the, these yeah. are mon- okay. they're monster they're, industries. Yeah. So Champagne is crazy diverse in its terroir. It's much bigger. Like Burgundy is smaller than you think. It's this one strip, basically. Mm-hmm. You know that you just go up the RN seventy four uh, if you're driving, and a couple of like famous small towns, and that's kind of yeah. yeah. It's 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 quite Champagne. It's Champagne little, is sprawly. Yeah. It's always a little bit surprising just. And every inch of the Better Vineyard sites is used to like a crazy degree. There is not one shrub. There is not one tree. You know, that if it can grow worthwhile in Champagne, it's growing Champagne. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, their production is it's just it's more expensive, just and more labor intensive because of what they have to do and how long they have to well, age wine and It's a much colder cellar. climate, which now is being affected by global warming. Yeah, well, when you think when you think about it, Champagne is pretty parallel with Paris. And Paris, if you spin the globe, is parallel with Montreal. Yeah, that's cold. So we don't grow a lot of wine in Montreal at the moment. Mm-mm. No, but that's good to, to get a, a visual on. Now, you, you have the, – there are moderating influences on that climate – the other thing that's very, very interesting, uh, and I've to just sort of finish with on champagne is not about champagne and pursuant to your global warming point, sparkling wine from Britain. There are soils in Britain, like in Surrey uh, or in Kent, that are a lot of chalk, just oh, like in champagne. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's exciting. And so, one thing I did <laughs> when I stopped there was to taste a number of really high-quality sparkling wines from Britain <laughs> that quality price are very close to champagne. That's exciting. Yeah. Good for them. And, and we, 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 you know, a couple of years ago, we started working with a few, mm-hmm. but, but there are more, and there are more because there's potential. That's great. Okay. 
And that's that's a little closer to New Zealand to explore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean I'm not going to go see that, that producer in New you Zealand. Are. I know you will. Yeah, that's how I'm going to have to be sedated or something for the long flight. Well, that's all we have time for at this moment. If you want to listen to another episode of Formula Wolf on Food and Wine, please go to the WYPR website. Look for our podcasts. It's the Foreman Wolf page you want to go to, and there's a full menu of podcasts there. If you want to email correspond with us, it's foremanwolf at wypr.org. To follow Chef Cindy Wolf on social media. On Facebook, you can follow me as Cindy Wolf. On Instagram and Twitter as Chef Wolf. My Instagram is the real Tony Foreman. And thanks for listening. Happy Sunday. <laughs> <laughs>